Happy Thursday, and it is indeed a happy Thursday, considering what just happened almost basically into Thursday morning at Chrysler Center. Good day to you, Isaiah Hole, your man on the ground here. I am the host of the Lockdown Wolverines podcast, uh, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm also the publisher of Wolverines Wire through USA Today Sports Media Group. It's Thursday, so that means that we are going to take your questions for most of the show. We have enough to do the whole show, but I want to squeeze in a little Michigan basketball talk based off of what happened last night at Chrysler Center. Michigan basketball, if if you didn't watch it, I feel sad and sorry for you because Michigan basketball put on a show. Number seven, Wolverines welcome the number 11 North Carolina Tar Heels in a 1993 rematch of the national championship game, a rematch of last season's ACC Big Ten matchup, and it was completely a reverse situation of either of those games. Overall, Michigan really flexed its muscle, showed why it's the number seven team in the country, showed that it's one of the best college basketball teams that you cannot trifle with John Beeline and anything that they want to do as they take down North Carolina 84 to 67. And in many ways, it wasn't even that close. Michigan had to push it back up to 17 because it got up to 22 at one point, and then it was about to get up to 25, a a three-pointer rimmed in and out by Eli Brooks, and then North Carolina hit three consecutive threes while Michigan was just kind of loafing in a way because there was only like five minutes left in the game at that point. It was very unlikely that it was going to become anything. But then they pushed it to a nine-point, I believe it was only a nine-point lead. Maybe it was only 11. Uh, But uh, then Michigan just pushed it right back. Got it right back up to where it was. Defense really won the day. Sub-40% shooting from North Carolina. They started the game super hot. They were, uh, it was, it was like nine minutes in and they were shooting 70% from the field. And then Michigan kind of figured out what they were doing and were like enough with that. And then roles reversed because North Carolina really was hitting everything that it was just putting up. Guys had hands in their faces, whatever, just kind of didn't matter. But eventually Michigan's defense, kind of like what you saw in most games football wise, where they were just bothered by everything that the uh, that the other team was doing. And basically, North Carolina felt uncomfortable for a little bit. And then at that point, that's when turnovers started happening. Michigan had, I think he, uh, I don't have the stats in front of me, but the, uh, Roy Williams said after the game it was 18 points off of turnovers, off of 10 turnovers or something like that. So very solid game for Michigan. Uh, Iggy Brzdykas continues to be impressive. Another career high, 24 points. Uh, I'd like to say I called that one, not in a public way, but it was, uh, granted he had like 18 points in the first and he only had six in the second half. But I, when I started kind of writing, you know, you start writing a game story, at least I do. I'm not used to being up in like the press area. I'm used to being down photographing games, but like somewhere a third of the way through the game, you start kind of writing what you think is going to happen to kind of flesh out your game story. And I wrote that, you know, he set a career high again and led all scorers again. And he did both. And it you got to look at it and kind of almost be like, wow, it was nice when we had that other number 13, but I kind of love this number 13. He's been really, really, really good. 
And the bright lights, I wrote about this on Wolverine's Wire. Check it out. The bright lights don't seem to bother him. He's actually been best when the bright lights have been on him the, the most. The spotlight's been on him the most. Because he shot 63% against Villanova. And then he shot close to 70%, 69%, nice, uh, on Wednesday night against North Carolina. Those are his two best shooting performances of the year. And he set career highs in, in uh, well, he set a career high in this one. I believe he had 18 points against Villanova. He had 19 points the game before. So it's it's really impressive what he's been able to do. It's really good to see Jordan Poole show out, be able to have the kind of game that he ended up having. Uh, really was a big catalyst to why things went so well in the second half. Hitting so many threes. He hit four. Four threes, I believe, in the second half, and three and uh, three of them came in that uh, in that run when they pushed it up to twenty two points. So really, really impressive what he was able to do. Um, really, really amazed with uh, at you know again how things went in that game. I I thought that Michigan had a really good shot, but I kind of had a bad feeling going into it. You had the number one defense versus the number two defense. I'm uh, sorry, number two uh, two offense in the country. And we saw how that burnt us on Saturday. It had ended up being a very different situation at Chrysler Center. I guess you can just trust on John Beeline. And, you know, I'm really happy with how Chrysler Center showed out, too. I said yesterday I did not anticipate that it was going to be a really good crowd. The maze out was still kind of weak itself. But I thought that the crowd was amazing. I, it's the loudest I've seen a Chrysler Center crowd possibly ever, at least is when I've been in attendance. It was definitely a raucous place to play. It would just be nice if that could happen every week. Hopefully it happens again on Saturday with Purdue coming to town. Number 19 Purdue. They have two losses. They won't be number 19 for long. But it's uh, it was really good to see that Chrysler Center showed out. And it was really good to see that, uh, that the fan base could get behind this basketball team, especially coming with the malaise that's surrounding the football team after Saturday's loss. So, really cool. I thought one of the coolest things after the game was Charles Matthews asked, like, what what have we been holding teams to? They were said, like, you know, you had a really good defensive performance. You know, North Carolina liked to score 96 points a game. He's like, what, what, what did we hold them to? Oh, you, we held, you held them to 67. What do we normally hold teams to? 48. Yeah, so it wasn't a very good defensive performance. <laughs> they hit the second the high it's it's the second highest scoring team in all of college football who scores 96 points a game they held them to 67 uh points and 40 percent shooting or 39 percent shooting and you're still like eh we could have done a lot better that has got to make you feel good and uh just the fact that michigan has even though villanova is not ranked anymore but has wins over what was then a number eight ranked Villanova team and a number 11 ranked North Carolina team that has some obvious talent. That's a really good team. And Roy Williams said after the game, it was in his 30, 31 years of coaching. He's the most frustrated he's ever been after this game. And that's got to make you feel really good about where Michigan's going um, and what its prospects are. I don't, I, I thought, after the first game of the season, that this was around a 32, maybe a Sweet 16 team, and now I have been—I've never been more wrong. Uh, it would be a disappointment if that ended up being the case because they've got everything going for them. They should be a favorite to win every game that they play for the rest of the season, barring some something—I don't know—barring like an, an injury, knock on wood, or another team just getting super hot at some point, but. 
they should be able to beat every team for the rest of the like I can't see a Big Ten team that makes me feel like they should have Michigan's number. Now that's not to say that they won't lose down the stretch because basketball season's a long season. You can lose any day, right? But Michigan State, I mean, they heck they lost to Louisville. <laughs> it's an unranked Louisville team. Michigan State lost that game. Uh, Ohio State lost to Syracuse. It there's really not a you know when you look at the schedules mostly Big Ten heavy going forward. I don't think there's another giant non-conference opponent for the rest of the season. So to me that that spells that it should be a very good uh, it should be a very very good season for for Michigan in that sense. So just looking at their schedule, not, number nineteen Purdue. Then they go to Northwestern. You know the issues they have at Northwestern, so you never know there. South Carolina is the only really big non-conference game that they have coming up on uh, the 8th of December, a week from Saturday. But after that, I mean, you've got uh, Western Michigan, Air Force, Binghamton. Then you get into the Big Ten schedule. What's a Rutgers going to pose a problem? Watch a Rutgers go and pose a problem. MSU is the only other team that you have to feel like, all right, that's a real scary prospect. You play both at MSU and then they are a senior day, final game of the season for your Michigan Wolverines to, you know, this year. OSU, I mean, yeah, you got the one game, I believe, against Ohio State. You don't, you're not playing in Columbus. It's at Chrysler, so that helps. But Chris Holtman's a very good coach. So that has to make you feel pretty good about the season and what Michigan can do. I'm sure they'll trip up somewhere, but uh, they got everything going, and that's really exciting. All right, so uh, we are going to go to a break, and then obviously when we come back, we are going to talk. Uh, take your questions for the rest of the show. I'm going to have to make it a lot quicker than I normally do because I had enough to fill the entire show, and we decided to just make it two segments, and I'm going to get to every question if I can. Uh, but, you know, games like last night, one like coming up on this Saturday, you don't want to watch the game. You need to watch it. If you're sick of paying for 20 channels that you never watch when you just want to see your team win, Sling TV is the best way to watch college basketball, college football, all of the above. $30 a month will get you ESPN, Pac-12 Network, SEC Network, and much, much more. Stream to your big screen and all your to all of your favorite devices. Sling TV gives you the live TV that you love, only better. No useless channels, no long-term contracts, no hidden fees, and you can cancel at any time. Sign up for Sling TV and get your seven-day free trial. Locked On Wolverines listeners can get their seven-day free trial by going to sling.com slash locked on. That's S-L-I-N-G dot com slash locked on. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. All right, so taking your questions, I'm going to try to get through these as quickly as possible. 
compared to uh, how much I like to draw it out because we do not have the whole show to go through. I believe we got uh, about 14 questions. Some of them will be combined, not many. Brian Hall at 15BS Hall 97 asks, after putting in spread concepts throughout the season and not using them in the crucial part of the OSU game, do you think that was a lack of confidence that the staff had in the running the spread or just Harbaugh's stubbornness to continue to run his pro-style offense? Another question, after that embarrassing loss, do you think that Don Brown will uh, work on more zone in the defensive scheme? Northwestern exploited it for a quarter. Indiana exploited it again in Ohio State, blew it wide open. All right, so starting out with the spread concepts, I am a little surprised because I had heard uh, some things about what Michigan's offensive game plan was going to be in this game, and there were some elements that were going to be very surprising for people, and I've confirmed after the game that this was supposed to be in the game plan. A couple different things. They were spread elements. They were different, putting athletes in space, some surprises, blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to share them here. But uh, there definitely was some some things that were supposed to happen that never did. I just thought that for for whatever reason, once uh, once they got into the game, that the coaching staff tightened up, the play calling tightened up, and I don't know if it's because Ohio State went down and scored so quickly, so easily. But to me, it's, it should have gone the other way. Michigan played a scared game, in my opinion should have played a much more, all right, we're going to go after you. Because when they started incorporating the pass game and, you know, really slinging it around, I mean, they didn't really sling it, sling it. I mean, Shea Patterson only had 187 total yards. They had 240 total yards on the game. But that's where they started really having success was when they started really kind of going deep and doing some different things that weren't just running up the middle and uh, dive plays and things of that nature. So I don't really understand for obvious reasons why they tightened up. So it wasn't the game plan. So I would have to say it's more stubbornness. It wasn't the stubbornness to continue to run his pro-style offense. I thought it was just stubbornness in the sense of playing a scared game. Because I know for a fact that they had plans to do different things, and they just never went to them. I also know that there was a belief that in internally, I don't know if this was the coaches, the players, or who. I just know that based off some of the sources I talked to, there was a belief internally that they were going to win handily. Obviously, it didn't happen that way. So I think maybe Ohio State went out and did march down the field and they said, all right, let's just do what we're going to do. But, you know, let's go and, and do what we can do. But, and, and uh, ended up the way it did. I don't understand it. I don't understand why they didn't use Shea Patterson in the run game more. They used him in all three of those games against Wisconsin, Michigan State, and Penn State, much to their advantage. As far as the uh, the zone and the defensive scheme, yeah, I do expect that they'll use more. They've done it before. It's not necessarily been looked at uh, as being a zone, but uh, it's been pointed out to me by, uh, you, you know, Favorite of uh, probably every Michigan fans program, Marcus Ray. I was having uh, cigars with Marcus Ray about a year ago. And uh, he had pointed out that uh, against Ohio State in 2016, they ran the uh, ran zone on half the field. 
Only half, though. Man, man, I want half zone on the other half. And that's what confused... And they kept on switching it. That's what confused Ohio State. I'm surprised they didn't go with something like that again this year. Um, maybe they have... I'm not I'm not the best with a camera in my lens at reading what's going on as far as scheme and things of that nature. I can more so... I, I, I pay more attention to offensive scheme than I do defensive scheme, although I have looked every now and again and noticed... I'm surprised that Michigan didn't go early in the season. They showed a both a quarters and dime look. I know that that is not what Don Brown wants to do, but I've seen it on the field a few times, and it never happened in a game like this when it, they probably needed it most. Uh, so I took way too much time on those two questions. <laughs> so uh, Jerry Mead, at least this one will be quick. Jerry Mead at Mead 10 asked, how many coaches does Michigan lose in the offseason? Uh, I do not know, and I can't really pretend to guess because that's a very very difficult question to answer uh right i mean it's uh i i mean i don't think anyone's necessarily got their foot out the door i mean you look defensively and every, you've got to feel like everyone's set there and offensively i mean the only ones that you you know really think okay ed, ed warner who michigan's all but assuredly going to make sure it doesn't leave. And Jim McElwain, who would probably be my only, the only one that I would say like doesn't have like any strong ties or isn't relatively new or whatever. Unless there's a big change and Harbaugh decides to move on from Pep Hamilton, which I think would be a little short-sighted despite what a lot of the Michigan fans think of Pep Hamilton. Uh, Gabriel Shirk asks, that's, at Shirks underscore services. How do you feel about our recruiting after this loss and with our offense not targeting wide receivers down the field as often as other top teams do? This concerns me. Do you think that we won't beat uh, the Ohio State until Mariah retires? A lot of people feel this way? Question mark. Uh, as far as recruiting, I think that it's definitely made them... Uh, I'm sure you've seen all over Twitter. It's not ruining anything that uh, the recruitment has picked back up of... Uh, Anthony Solomon, the linebacker out of American Heritage in Florida, the Miami commit. And uh, after it being like Michigan was the favorite and then Michigan cooled off and now Michigan seems to be the favorite again, crystal ball search on 24-7 sports. But the, uh, I think Michigan realized it needs to play with a little bit more speed. They already knew it. That's why they're bringing in guys like Giles Jackson. They want to get bruising guys that are also fast, like Zach Charbonnet. But they're also, you know, that's why you go out and get Eric Gray, who I know most say that he's not going to end up in the class, but nonetheless, why you go and get a Giles Jackson? Getting bringing in Daxton Hill is a huge thing. You know, being able to hopefully bring in uh, Zach Harrison. We have a nice update uh, on Zach Harrison on the site at Wolverines Wire that just went up today from Evan Petzold. It's excellent. Go go read it. Um, so getting the speed because that's what, where Ohio state really killed Michigan speed in, especially just on both sides of the ball. They were just faster. Michigan got stronger. They need to get faster now. And I mean, they targeted wide receivers down the field. They need to do it more. Yes. Because that was where Ohio state could not stop Michigan. It was either always a catcher or pass interference almost every time. I, I was a little alarmed by how, how little they passed the ball at times in some of these games. And 
you know what? They they you know you have a guy in Shea Patterson who's thrown the ball for 400 yards in a game while he was at Ole Miss, and yeah, in some games you don't necessarily want to do that. Michigan State was the perfect game plan. I bitched about it while I was on the sidelines, but when it all was said and done, it was the perfect game plan because when it came to that last final drive to put the game away, Michigan State's offensive front was so worn down by the run game that they were getting six yards a carry. I don't know if Michigan will beat Ohio State and you know while Urban Meyer's still there. They had a great shot the last two years, but just didn't have the personnel to make it happen. This year they had the personnel and had a bad game plan. And Ohio State had a perfect game plan and adjusted constantly. People are saying that Ohio State didn't adjust. They adjusted a lot. Problem was is every time Michigan adjusted, Ohio State adjusted right back and it just it made everything look the same because Ohio State was ready for every single thing Michigan was going to do on both sides of the ball. To this same note, go blue gal 13 at go blue gal 13. Do you think the up-the-middle-up-the-middle pass punt experiment will still be the plan for a bowl game? (laughs) Will we have a plan for crossing routes? No, I don't think it will still be the plan for the bowl game. I know it wasn't the plan overall going into the game this last week. So, no, I wouldn't anticipate it being the plan this week, or not this week, this month, next month, whatever. Uh, But, for some reason, they went to it anyway before, so we'll see. Uh, Let's see, where are we at time-wise? All right, we're going to go to a break and then we're going to answer the rest. Uh, Is your company looking for a new way to reach customers? Your company could be mentioned right now. Podcast listeners are 60% more likely to interact with the sponsors they hear on their podcast. Or our demographic is 98% male and has more education and earns more than traditional media audiences. Have your company sponsor this here podcast. Email me at LockdownWolverines at gmail.com. All right, let's finish up here. Uh, Patrick Bicknell asks, at Patrick underscore Bick 21, who would you rather have starting next year, Shea, Milton, or McCaff? Shea Patterson, no question. He's the guy that you want to have. There's no question about that. Uh, He's shown it. I mean, uh, Milton will eventually be the guy. McCaffrey will probably be the guy before him, but... Michigan has an embarrassment of riches now at quarterback position. It might not feel like it. Let's not forget that Brandon Peters came in through one pass, and it was and it ended up being a uh, and he put Michigan right in the position for a touchdown. Looking at the stat sheet right now, it didn't end up being the touchdown, but came in and slinged it. Uh, so thought it was a touchdown. I thought he had a touchdown. Maybe the stat sheet is wrong. I thought he had that Nico touchdown. Anyway. Triple A 0323, who confusingly has a handle of Triple A 11094. Vert, stay or go, best guess. And uh, I would, I would, this is not an informed opinion. I know that there's other outlets that say that he's likely to go. I'm going to say most likely to stay. When you look at like his his dude is Jordan Lewis. Jordan stayed for that fourth year. I think you know the loss against Ohio State will sit with him, and you, I, I just think I just think he he and David Long will end up staying, and I think there's a very good chance that I'm wrong, but uh, I I that's just my my gut feeling 
which is not the same as gut feelings that maybe like Sam Webb has where it's an informed opinion. I'm just saying like my literal gut feeling, or I should say figurative gut feeling, is that I think that they both stay. Obviously, if I have some information as far as that type of stuff is concerned, and you know, I'll update that on the site, future episodes, whatever. Uh, most consistent question asker for these podcasts, Jason Howlett at Jason, sorry, at Howlett Jason B. Who do you think starting offensive tackles will be next season? Sleeper that nobody's talking about that will get playing time next season. 10 and 2 is not a disappointment, in my opinion. Hashtag go blue always. Uh, starting offensive tackles, I think, will be the guys you saw against Ohio State. Um, you know, John Bushel Beatty graduate, so he's gone. Um, so I think it will likely be, because uh, I think they want to have Jalen Mayfield be the left tackle. So I think Andrew Stuber is a guy that they've been really big on anyway. I think he ends up being the starting right tackle. And I think John Runyon Jr., uh, went, you know, wins and he retains his job for his senior season. And he did a really, really good job as the season progressed. And finally, you'll have some consistency there. I think you'll be looking across the board at a very good uh, offensive line for the Wolverines. As far as sleeper that nobody is talking about that will get playing time next season, um, I think uh, I'm going to go on the defensive side of the ball, and I'm going to say Luigi Villain, uh, defensive end. He's finally going to get his chance to play. Did not play this year. They didn't need him, so he had surgery. He had surgery late, and he uh, it was it wasn't a sur- uh, an injury that happened in the offseason. It was same deal with his knee that happened the year before. Uh, it, it was something that uh, had been an issue going back to high school that just wasn't diagnosed, wasn't corrected, and they decided to correct it because they really didn't need him as much this year. Luigi Villane, I think people are sleeping on him hardcore. I think he's going to come in and be an absolute beast. Secondly, uh, secondly secondly, in the words of Tobias Junke, uh, I think Camagrown at linebacker is going to be a force. Uh, I know I know Devin Gill's been the starter, but Michigan's looking to get more speed and things of that nature. I think he'll there will still be a platoon at Will linebacker. I think Cam's eventually a middle linebacker, but I think he'll go the exact same route as like Josh Ross and Mike McCray and um and uh sorry, not Mike McCray, but Devin Bush and do that where he's learning both positions. I think he's going to be an absolute monster. So look forward to that, and I agree. I don't think ten and two is a dis- uh, is a, I'll say unsuccessful season. I will say disappointment just based off the way that the team lost to Ohio State. If it was a loss to Ohio State, I think it'd be disappointing. The way that this team lost to Ohio State is very disappointing. Mahi at U M or sorry at U of Murder Wolf, which I love. Both the NFL and NCAA have become passing leagues. Do you feel that Harbaugh will ever uh, move past the Bo era and play today's evolved game? Remember, Bo was 10-2 or 11-1 coach, but struggled in bowl games. I'm hoping but not expecting Michigan to get over that hump. I don't think that it necessarily matters. You can be a square peg in a round hole because it does confuse what other teams want to do. I think Michigan, what it's doing is fine. I think it needs to pass maybe a little bit more than it has. It needs to be more dynamic in the run game, but it's going to get there. It's They finally have an offensive line. Listen, if they have this offensive line playing the way it is now, playing the way it did against Ohio State, even against Notre Dame, I think Michigan probably wins that Notre Dame game because the offensive line played just so much better and the run game has been better and all of that kind of stuff. 
they can play the, the type of game they want to play. And it's very multiple. It's very diverse. But people don't really realize how difficult... I said this on, on Instagram. Someone tried to flame me for it. And they tried to flame me for it saying it was the defensive side of the ball. Like, oh, you said that Michigan's really hard to plan for. I'm like, I'm talking offensively. Michigan is one of the hardest teams offensively to plan for because they do so many different things. And it's the same defensively. Just Ohio State had better athletes really damn good coaches. Um, it, it takes a long time sometimes for these things to develop, right? It took how long before Clemson under Dabo Swinney got to the point where it got to? Not everyone can be you know, can be Nick Saban at Alabama and come in in year three win a national championship. Or Urban Meyer at Ohio State and come in year three win a national championship. Ohio State, Alabama wasn't necessarily. I mean, Alabama was still Alabama. You still had top athletes there. Not to the degree that they have now. But Ohio State, before Urban Meyer came along, it had just come off of two national championship appearances. Had Terrell Pryor and looked insanely good. Then had one bad year after Trestle's gone and Luke Fickle's leading the charge and in comes Urban Meyer. It takes a little while to build the thing that can take down every, everything, right? Because Dabo Swinney came to Clemson uh, eight-some seasons ago when you had teams like Virginia Tech. I mean, Miami was up and down. But, you know, you had teams like Virginia Tech and... Um, just trying to think of who who else in the in the ACC. The ACC was a little bit more wide open. You didn't have like one team. Florida State took a little while to build to what it is. But listen, you, for all of this, you know, if you're not winning now, talk in col- in college football, it's actually kind of amazing because. And I just realized I'm way over time. I did not wasn't looking at my clock here. Um, college football, it takes time to build a program. Is all I'm saying. I got to move on. I've got uh, th- three more questions. Kyle Pierce, at kpierce08, if Harbaugh doesn't win the Big Ten next year, will he be on the hot seat? No. <laughs> as long as he wins nine-plus games, he's not in the hot seat. Beats Michigan State? Come on now. At hail to the Vict 21 anything on the recruiting front? Bailey decides tonight where do you think he ends up, Michigan or Tennessee? I think he ends up at Michigan. I think there's a lot of questions at Tennessee. Why pick Tennessee right now? Um and uh, for recruiting stuff, just go to our site. I don't have time to go through it. Uh, Evan Petzold has got a ton of stuff he's updating. Updates on Zach Harrison. He's going to have uh, as an update on Danielson Ike. Is going to have one on Isaiah Foskey. And Bart Simpson at JoJo Bart Simpson. Is Shea staying or leaving? Uh, you do not know. Conflicting reports. One was from uh, someone, I believe, close to the Shea Patterson camp that he is planning on coming back. And uh, then Bleacher Report says he's not. Uh I don't necessarily trust Bleacher Report, but I don't think that decision has been made. Uh, I think he would benefit from another year uh, and hopefully a, a lot more passing attempts this upcoming season. All right. Sorry, we are over time. I have to end this um, for the Lockdown Wolverines podcast. I'm your man on the ground, Isaiah Hole. You can find me online at Isaiah Hole. Follow the podcast at on Wolverines, Wolverines Wire, at Wolverines Wire. If you'd like to be a featured sponsor on the show, please email me at lockdownwolverines at gmail.com. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts, or online at wolverineswire.com, where we post our daily podcast every single day to go along with the rest of your Michigan football coverage. This was Lockdown Wolverines, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, where it's your team every day.
Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.